Gracious God, we do give you thanks. We thank you for the promise of your presence with us. We thank you for the experience of your presence with us. In this moment, yes, yet in all seasons of our lives, we give you thanks for your loving hands and your warm embrace. And we pray now that during this moment of preaching, we would draw closer still to you as you have drawn close to us, that we might be renewed in our faith and our love for you and others, that we might go from this place equipped to share the light of your love in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The second chapter of John's gospel tells us about the first miracle Jesus performed. And it is a wonderfully superfluous kind of miracle, turning water into wine. It's famous. It it gets parodied uh, in movies and in television shows. Uh, This is one of those miracles of Jesus that catches our eyes and draws our attention. And I want to spend some time talking about it today. The scripture tells us that uh, Jesus goes to this wedding with his disciples. His mother Mary is there as well. And Mary observes something horrible has taken place. They've run out of wine at this wedding. So she goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And this is one of those moments in Scripture we, we have to wonder, again, if, 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 a, if an actress was portraying this part, uh, what would she bring to the delivery of that line? Would it be, Jesus, they ran out of wine? Or would it be, they ran out of wine? Or, or can you believe they ran out of wine? You know, there, there's a lot going on in Mary's uh, statement there. We just kind of got to unpack that a little bit. But anyway, her observation is true. They ran out of wine. And Jesus said, what concern is that to me? My moment has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. We read a whole lot into that. You know, theologians say, oh, Jesus' moment, the moment of his, I don't know, maybe just like, it's not my party, mom. Why are you asking me to fix this? He seems to say. And then I love it. There's this moment in there where it's like, the mother knows her son, right? Jesus says, it's not yet my hour. And as Mary's turning to leave, she says, do what he tells you to do. And she walks out and then Jesus gets to work, right? He observes there are these six uh, uh, water jugs, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot of water, right? 120, 180 gallons here. And he tells the stewards, go and go and fill these up with water. They go and they fill them up with water. And then he says, draw something out of that and take it to the chief steward. And they draw it out and they take it to the chief steward. And then there's the mystery in the text, right? When the, stewards ta- when the steward tastes the water that had become wine, is the way the scripture reads. We're not, we're, that moment of transformation is not described, is it? But when the steward tastes the water that had turned to wine... He, he, he's overwhelmed by how good it is. And then we get this great line of scripture too. He, he, he goes to the bridegroom and he's like, good for you. Everybody else is so cheap. They wait till everybody get drunk and then they bring out the cheap stuff. But you've saved the best stuff to now. He says, good for you. Like, All right. And the party goes on, right? Well, there's, there's a lot going on in this passage and I love it. But, but, but uh, I actually, this is the standard uh, uh, passage that I preach at weddings. I love preaching uh, John 2 during wedding ceremonies. But the thing that I love about this passage, yes, there's humor in this passage, and it's a funny scene to imagine playing out. 
I love that the first miracle Jesus performs is just utterly and, 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 and entirely gratuitous. Whatever is happening here, it is not a life and death situation. This is the same Jesus who's going to heal people of life-changing illnesses. This is the same Jesus who's going to raise people from the dead. This is Jesus who is going to go into the midst of some dire situations and bring light and love and transformation and resurrection to those situations. Other miracles are going to take place in scenes like that. This is a situation where at most, at worst, what we're dealing with here is someone's embarrassment. I threw a party and I didn't have enough. I ran out of the stuff. I ran out of wine for my guests. Not the end of the world. Sure, embarrassing if you're the party host, but not life and death. Uh, maybe that's going on. Maybe the, the, maybe, uh, or, or, or the party coming to end a couple of days early. Of course, you want the party to go on. But if the party ends after three days instead of six, not the end of the world, right? So here we have Jesus coming into a situation that, that, that's, that, that's not life and death. Maybe it's saving someone's face. Maybe it's saving someone's reputation a little bit of embarrassment, but it's just not that big of a deal. But Jesus comes into that situation with the abundance of grace and love. I think the reason John wants us to know how much, how much those water jugs, how much water could go into those jugs, he wants us to grasp the enormity of this miracle. 120 gallons of wine is a lot of wine. It was a lot of wine then. Every now and then, people, you know, given our, our, our culture and, and our own Methodist traditions, uh, 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 views on prohibition at times and abstinence from alcohol at times. I've heard a lot of sermons of people going to great lengths to kind of make, you know, to, to, to make this a non-alcoholic story, you know. There, there's a lot of alcohol in this story, right? It's 120 gallons of wine. And we just have to deal with that. that that's, that's in the Bible. It's okay. It's there. It, it happens. Drink responsibly or, or not at all, depending on what you want to do. But, but that's, that, that's, that, that kind of messes with the point, right? Because what we have is this story in which Jesus comes. He's met with, with, with an embarrassing situation, yes. But he responds in this enormity of grace and this enormity of compassion and this enormous miracle. Far more than what was needed was provided. And in that moment, in that observation, we see the, 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 the gospel truth of this story. More than was needed was provided. And that right there is the tagline for God's grace and God's love for each and every one of us. More than was needed was provided. The old song says, all that I needed, he hath provided. No, no, no. More than you have needed, the Lord hath provided. That is the story of God's grace. That is the, the good news that centers and compels us. You think you're the worst sinner who's ever walked the earth? God comes to you with more grace, plenty of grace to forgive you for what you've done. You think you're no good, all those voices. Voices in your life of people telling you you're second rate and second class. You, you, you think that's there's some truth in that? No, no, no. What God has planned for you and the gifts that God has placed in you are far greater than you even know or understand because of God's love for you, for God's love for each and every one of us. When I'm working to get the kids to understand here and understanding those that, that message from, from Corinthians and Paul's letter, and we're going to be reading through that uh, story through coming weeks as well, everyone has something to provide. 
because God has made us that way and blessed us that, that way. Um, this is, that, that's the story that's going to go to, you know, can an eye say to the ear, I don't need you? Can, can an eye say to the foot, I don't need you? Uh, thinking about how our own bodies work. No, we need one another. We're knit together in a beautiful way because of God's love for each and every one of us. More than we needed, God's love has provided. We started our, our service today in our announcement time thinking about what we can do and the ways we want to serve and the ways we want to welcome. I, want to, I, I think it is the gospel truth for us today that in our midst right here, there are love and there's love and there are resources available to us, even in our hands and in our hearts at this moment, that we could do far more than we even imagine when we allow God's love to work through us compelling us to serve, guiding us and leading us in the ways that we should go. More than we needed, God's love has provided. This is the first in a sermon series that I'm going to preach over the next few weeks. Um, The series is entitled, uh, All Loves Excelling. The line comes from that opening hymn today, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. Uh, It's the simple truth that God loves us with a love that is deeper and wider and greater and more fulfilling and more lasting and more durable and more dependable than any other love. All loves excelling. Greater than all other loves is the love that God has for each and every one of us. And not just us who are good church people who can show up on a snowy cold day, but all people, everyone we encounter, God's love is true and profound and deep for them. We might be... uh, we, we, we might want to take that to heart as well and how we share and treat them as well. Dr. King's uh, first sermon, it was his audition sermon at one of his churches. Uh, he, he talked about, uh, it's a sermon that he pulled from the book of Revelation, but he, he's talking about the, the length and the breadth and the height uh, of love at work in our life. And he talks about our love, uh, the length of our life is the love that we have for ourselves. Good love. You know, it's good to love yourself and care for yourself and, 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 and work to make your life better. That's the length of life. And the breadth of life is how we love others and our compassion and our desire to see others experience the bounty of God's goodness and become aware of God's goodness. And the height of our life is our love for God and opening our hearts to God's love and God's presence in our life. And we hold these things in balance, the length and the breadth and the height of love. And that's a good life, he says. It's an excellent sermon. You can, you can look it up uh, and maybe do that tomorrow if you've got some time or if you're snowed in tonight, iced in tonight. Uh, read some of his words because they're powerful words and they speak of, of, of what God can do and, and, and what we can do because of what God has done. Deep and profound words from Dr. King. Over the course of these weeks in this study as well, I'm going to be looking at uh, what words that come from our own, uh, our own Methodist tradition, our own, uh, the, the life uh, of John Wesley and Charles Wesley, the, the music of Charles Wesley. And that's why I've started where I've started with this passage today. Because our tradition, our Methodist tradition, begins and ends with grace. It's always something that God has done. 
It's always about God's love for us. It's always about God's extravagant love for us. It's always about God's love that exceeds all our need. God's love that makes possible what we thought was impossible. God's love that speaks to each and every one of us. You are God's beloved. You are cared for. You have gifts that God has given you. You have a reason and a purpose. You can make a difference because of the difference God has made in Jesus Christ for you and for all. What's motivated this uh, sermon series is the uh, special general conference of our denomination, the global meeting of Methodist delegates that, that starts off in just a little over a month. It starts on February 23rd. And, uh, and that, that's going to be a, a three-day meeting where our, where our people from around the world, United Methodists from around the world, come together and try to resolve the impasse that we've been at for a generation or more regarding the inclusion or the exclusion of LGBT members and clergy in the life of our church. And I've provided a, uh, on your way out today, you'll find a little pamphlet that we've put together for you that just kind of uh, get the lay of the land and know what's on, what's going on with that meeting. We'll talk more about that in detail in the days to come. But one thing that, that, that I've uh, thought of and part of my own experience is it's so easy to get caught up in, in the stuff of institution. And where does the church as institution go? And what decision does church as institution make? But if we forget this stuff, if we forget this truth about grace, then does it really matter where an institution goes? Does it really matter where a church goes if the church tries to leave grace behind? I don't think so. So for you and I, for anyone who wants to listen, I think we ought to begin and end where we always do with grace. Because God came to each and every one of us in Jesus Christ and loved us in a way that we didn't deserve, that we could never earn, but God loved us. That's the truth. That is the basic truth of Christian teaching. God loved us when we were at our most unlovable and calls us to share love with others. Whatever comes from General Conference, whatever decisions are made, whatever PR is spun after it, I pray that we stay centered in that. Because if we stay committed to that, God loves us, God loves you, God loves the people I meet each and every day, and God compels me to treat them with dignity and respect and love them too, then we're going to be very good Methodists, and we will walk in the light of God's love. And that's why we call the miracle at Cana of Galilee good news for us and for all, and why we give thanks for the all-excelling love of God. Thanks be to God for this love and this good news today and always. Amen and amen.